Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. New Year's resolutions are as old as time. Researchers at the Wharton School say people are more likely to tackle their goals immediately following salient temporal landmarks, such as the start of a new year. They call it the fresh start effect. Unfortunately, it doesn't last very long. Hashtags like resolution fail start trending on social media just days, even hours, into the new year. One person tweeted on January the 1st, New Year's resolution? Get back on a normal sleep schedule. Blown. Thanks, X-Files on Netflix. Hashtag resolution fails. Here's another. Got ready for the gym, packed my gear, and went for a burger instead. Hashtag resolution fail. Don't judge me, joked another. I'm just sitting here with my wine and box of chocolates, trying to fill the void like everyone else. Hashtag resolution fails. <laughs> According to the University of Scranton, millions of Americans admit to usually or sometimes making New Year's resolutions. Their research shows most of us can stick it out a few weeks, but fewer than half are still going after six months. Only 8% are ultimately successful. The truth is, change is hard, ridiculously hard. Even after a heart attack, only 14% of patients make any lasting changes around exercise or eating. The average person makes the same New Year's resolution something like 10 separate times without success. In fact, many of us just stop making resolutions because we failed at them in the past. Welcome to the club. We're like hatchling turtles, bursting with determination to make it over the dunes to the ocean beyond. Then the seagulls swoop in and start picking us off one by one. Mona Chalabi, writing for 538, says, Like clockwork each January, well-intentioned people type the word diet or gym into Google. By December, the numbers doing so have fallen by a third. Not everyone loses. A couple weeks into the new year, one woman who regularly exercises tweeted, There are finally open parking spots at the gym. This is a good sign. Hashtag Two weeks is all it took. Fitness clubs actually bank on our failure. NPR reported on one chain that has about 6,500 members per location and only room for 300 at a time. It's like airline overbooking on a mass scale. But they don't need armed escorts to take us off the plane. Gyms purposefully oversell their capacity with year-long contracts knowing most of us will get distracted or lose interest. How does it feel to realize other people score because our resolutions fail? The tweets are funny and the statistics depressing, but this is really about something far deeper. Most of the resolutions we set are about what matters most in life, health, relationships, finances, or personal development. And yet we can't move the needle. But I've got good news. It's not your fault. It's the fault of a faulty system. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're going to explore why your resolutions probably won't stick and what you could do to finally gain ground in the upcoming year. Well, Dad, that's all pretty grim. (laughs) It is. But the good news is that we've identified five reasons that resolutions commonly fail. And if you know why they fail, then you can figure out how to succeed. Exactly. So So let's take them apart. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So the first reason your resolutions fail 
is that they're usually vague. I mean, people want to get in better health. They want to improve you know, their marriage. They want uh, to make more money this next year, but right. they're vague. Yeah, because desires alone aren't going to change your life. I mean, you have to translate aspirations, you know, those kind of dreams or hopes that you have into something that's actionable. Exactly. And the hardest step in achievement is always the first step, yeah. right? If you set a vague resolution, you don't have a clue on how to start. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like tr trying to cross the Grand Canyon. You need a bridge and an action from a specific resolution is going to help you do that. Right. Here, by the way, is a list of some of the most common resolutions that people set. And I pulled these from NBC News, 538, and Christianity Today. Lose weight. Eat healthier. Be a better person. <laughs> That's my personal favorite. Yeah, I love that. Be a better person. Yeah. How do you do that? Spend less. Save more. Deepen my relationship with God. Spend more time with family and friends. Exercise more often. Learn something new. That's a good one, too. <laughs> Do more good deeds for others. Find a better job. There's just not enough there, there. Right. <laughs> the, the bottom line is that goals have to be specific. For example, maybe you're thinking about a goal around uh, revenue. You may be tempted to set a goal like make more money, but... Where do you begin and how do you know if you're successful? Exactly. It's not specific enough. Right. So you need to try something like line up five new clients or increase revenue by 30% or launch a new product in the second quarter. The thing is that you really need specificity to make your goal actionable. You know, you've got to have something clear in mind so you're able to kind of start putting together a plan mm -hmm. of what your next steps are going to be. Otherwise, you just end up paralyzed. The problem is, is that if you have an aspiration, like be a better person or something else, it can be challenging um, to get the kind of clarity that you need to come up with a specific goal. So what do you do if that's the case for you? Well, one of the most important things is to write down your goals. So in <laughs> other words, turn your resolution into a goal by writing it down. Now, this seems obvious. And when I was out speaking to corporations, talking to business owners, business leaders, I'd always ask the question... How many of you believe in the power of written goals? Mm -hmm. Well, as you can imagine, every hand in the audience goes sure. up, literally every hand. And then I would ask the question, okay, be honest. How many of you have a set of written goals professionally <laughs> and personally for this year? Mm. Most of the hands would, would go down. And I've yeah. counted this over and over again, and it's usually about 5% of the audience. But here's the deal. Research shows that written goals are far more likely to be achieved. Dr. Gail Matthews, who's a psychology professor at Dominican University of California, conducted a study involving 267 participants. And among other things, she discovered, get this, that you're 42% more likely to achieve your goals just by writing them down. Wow. I mean, that's astonishing. That's not, you know, working them out, figuring out the next steps, coming up with an action plan, all that other stuff. It's the mere act of writing them down. And I cover this research in my new book, Your Best Year Ever, along with research when it's best to share your goals. Hmm. Okay, I have a question for you that I just thought of while you were talking. Okay. So this might seem like an obvious question, but I have a feeling that some people are wondering about okay. this. What is the difference between a resolution and a goal, because we're kind of almost using those like interchangeably, but I know in our philosophy, we think of them as being pretty different. Yeah, well, I think a resolution is all these attributes we're talking about. You know, it's it's vague. People make a commitment with no thought for how they're actually going to pull it off. And it really doesn't go any further mm -hmm. than the statement of an aspiration. A goal is a carefully crafted statement 
that gives you clarity about what it is you want in one of the domains of life. It could be your marriage, it could be your, your vocation or your business, it could be your health. But it's very specific, it's measurable, and it meets some other criteria that we'll get into as we go through this. So it's like something that you can really get behind and do something about, not just something that you say and kind of have warm, fuzzy thoughts at a New Year's Eve party. And and you got to be able to measure or know when you've accomplished it. Yeah. Right? So become a better person. How do I know when I get there? Sure. You know, I I, I hope I'm a better person than I was yesterday, but I'm, you know, not as good as I'm I'm hoping I'm going to be tomorrow or next year. So there's got to be some specificity to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so the second reason resolutions usually fail is that they're boring. Hello, boring. Yeah, no fun. So goals have to be exciting. If they're boring, it doesn't qualify as a goal. Yeah, I got to tell you, in our best year ever private Facebook group where we have people sharing, you know, feedback with each other and their wins and their challenges and all the rest, we had one of our members who said, man, I'm having a really hard time getting moving on this one goal. I just feel like I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. So I asked her, I said, well, what's the goal? She said, well, I want to reconcile all my accounting to get my bookkeeping cleaned up. And so I said, okay. Uh, <laughs> that sounds can, about like doing your own surgery. <laughs> I know, I can see why you're stuck on that. But, but, but I asked her, I mean, some people actually like doing accounting. So I said, um, are you excited about that goal? And she said, heck no. You know, that bores me to death to even think about it. I said, that's your problem. Because every goal is a project, but not every project is a goal. So in other words, there are going to be things that you're going to do in this next year that are projects. Mm-hmm. You know, just a lot of stuff that has just to be life done. stuff. Yeah, just life stuff. It's in your business. It's in your home, whatever. It's got to be done. But that doesn't make it a goal because for a goal to actually work, it's got to be exciting. Yeah, you really need intrinsic motivation. Yes, important word. Yep. Uh, Listen to what a group of scholars said in the June 2014 Journal of Personality. When goal pursuit is fueled by personal endorsement and valuing of the goal, commitment and persistence will be high. In contrast, when goal pursuit is the outcome of pressures or external contingencies, goal attainment will be comparatively less likely. And that's been my experience. That's like a nice way of saying when someone pressures you to do something, you're probably not going to stick with it for very long. That's right. That would be an extrinsic motivation, Mm -hmm. something external, but it's got to be intrinsic. It's got to be something internal. And the reason we use extrinsic and intrinsic is because they're fancy words and they sound better, right? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So as uh, Gail says, my wife, she says, people lose their way when they lose their why. And I found that compelling goals are compelling or exciting when they're one of these four characteristics. They're either spiritually meaningful, intellectually stimulating, emotionally energizing, or physically challenging. I mean, isn't it amazing, especially on that last one, Mm -hmm. how many people do crazy things that you think, there's no way I would do that. Right. You know, like running a 100-mile endurance run. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to get my head around a half marathon you know, is enough. But there's something about um, these things being physically challenging for a lot of people that gives them the energy and the excitement to do the training to actually accomplish it. Absolutely. One of the questions that we found helpful, if you're wondering uh, whether your goal is exciting enough uh, or not, is why does it matter to you? Mm -hmm. I mean, to really persevere, you have to pursue goals that you care about. You have to ask yourself, for example, what's at stake? What do you gain if you achieve the goal? Or what will you lose if you don't? Yeah, connecting with your personal motivation can make a radical difference in your results. Listen to what one of our alumni, Kelly Gore, from our Best Year Ever Goal Setting course had to say. Last year, when I attended Best Year Ever, I remember sitting in the live event 
and having this bit of an epiphany. I came to Best Year Ever as a very successful woman. I have an amazing marriage. I have great kids. I have a thriving business that's growing. And I thought that I was coming to set some bigger business goals. However, when I sat in that event and the question was asked, what is my key motivation for each of my goals? It became really apparent that my key motivation was actually time. I wanted more time to invest in me, more time to work out, more time to get my steps in, more time to prepare healthy meals, more time to invest in my spouse and my kids, more time to make our home a haven for our family and to create memories together, more time to serve in my church. And the reality was the bigger my business got, the more of my time it took, the more financial resources it took in hiring more staff. And I really came to this catalyst moment of deciding I didn't want to continue to make my business bigger and bigger. I still wanted the financial freedom that I had, but I wanted to restructure things in my business and in my life that it would allow me to have more time, more time and financial freedom to invest in the things that are most important to me. So as I've spent the last year restructuring my business and my life, I have found more time. I found time during the day to work out and get my steps in. I found time to invest in my husband and take quarterly retreats together and have weekly date nights. I'm setting myself up so that this next year, it's all about being able to invest in the things that are most important for me. And so I've closed certain aspects of my business that were really profitable, but took up a lot of time and a lot of financial resources. And I focused on things that create that time and financial freedom that I so longed for. Okay, ready for the third reason your resolutions usually fail? They're too easy. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but it's a myth that goals should be realistic. In fact, most people have heard of the SMART acronym. I mean, that's how most of us were taught goal setting. Right. Right? So that happened for you, happened for me too. And the R in the traditional SMART acronym stands for what? Realistic. Realistic is (sighs) way overrated. In fact, I believe it's a huge mistake and it's a fault in that system. And the achievement research backs me up. And let's be honest realistic is boring. It's hard to get excited about realistic. I know, exactly. The truth is that challenging goals improve performance. And this is kind of intuitive. I feel like we know this. We've all experienced it before. You get excited about something that's tough. uh, And the research backs that up. According to goal researchers Steve Kerr and Douglas LaPelle, when goals are set too low, people often achieve them, but subsequent motivation and energy levels typically flag. And the goals are usually not exceeded by very much. They went on to say that difficult goals are far more likely to generate sustained enthusiasm and higher levels of performance. That kind of makes sense, right? I mean, realistic goals are not going to get you fired up. Nope. And conversely, challenging goals absolutely will. 
And I think you spend more than a chapter on this in your new book, Your Best Year Ever, right? I do. In fact, I talk in the book about the fact that your goals should be in the discomfort zone. In fact, I talk about three zones. Mm -hmm. The first zone is your comfort zone, and that's where, where realistic goals are. You know, we dial it up just incrementally, just maybe a click so that we can say we're seeing an improvement. But the truth is that it doesn't compel us. It doesn't excite us. It doesn't motivate us. And so we usually fail to achieve even those kind of low-rung mm -hmm. uh, goals. And you're pretty sure on those kind of goals that you can accomplish it. There's really no yeah. risk. You're like, I got it. I know I can make the shot. Yeah, it's just a little bit uh, different than I did previously, but it's not uh, that big a deal. It's mm -hmm. just incremental. Then there's goals of the discomfort zone. And this is where you're going to begin to feel some fear, uncertainty, and doubt because you've never done it before. Mm -hmm. You're not sure you've got what it takes. There may be uh, something scary about it that, that kind of inhibits you setting it. But that's exactly where your goal should be is in the discomfort zone. In fact, those negative emotions are really positive indicators. Mm -hmm. Then there's the delusional zone. And this is absolutely where you don't want to be. Yeah. And all of us have flirted with this. You know, we think this grandiose plan, mm -hmm. you know, is in the realm of possibility. Maybe I could actually accomplish it. But after a while, that sets in and then we get very cynical about goal setting because it's just too far out of reach. Right. So again, you want to dial it back from the delusional zone, dial it up from the uh, from the comfort zone, and you want to be smack dab in the middle of the discomfort zone. And when we're talking about the delusional zone, we're really talking about things that are literally impossible, that defy the laws of physics or age or you know resources in some way that there's no way you can possibly overcome, even with extraordinary effort or, um, I don't know. So you're saying like, it wouldn't be possible for me to uh, play center for the Lakers? Well, not unless you grow at least a foot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Which is probably probably more than happen. that. Maybe like yeah. two feet. That's right. It reminds me of archery. You know, this past summer, we got our boys an archery set for one of their birthdays. It was really fun. They love archery. They're always asking to go out and do archery with dad after school now that it's a school year. And, you know, when you're on an archery range, or in our case, the backyard, you're trying to hit the bullseye, mm -hmm. right? It's natural to aim for the center of the target, but that's a mistake because it doesn't account for the resistance that you right. experience when you're trying to shoot. You have to actually aim um, a little high to get your best shot. Who knew? Because that overcomes the resistance. Yeah. So whether it's gravity or just the distance itself, that's what overcomes it and yeah. enables you to put it in the bullseye. Yeah. yeah. Well, the same is true for your goals, right? So you've got to be able to dial it up past the comfort zone, shoot a little bit high, not mm -hmm. too high, but a little bit high in order to ensure that you're going to hit the bullseye. Yeah. So one of the things that I was just thinking about is um, this idea of sandbagging right. your goals. And this is something that we've done ourselves in the past uh, and certainly something that we've seen our teams do or teams that we've led in the past. It's just kind of like a natural human inclination to sandbag um, on a goal. And so I'm wondering if you can just talk about why you think people do that and what's sort of going on psychologically in that phenomenon. Well, let me start by explaining that idiom because it may be an American idiom and I'm not sure it uh, translates cross-culturally. Mm -hmm. So when we say sandbagging, we're talking about the process of protecting yourself against some unforeseen thing that's undesirable. Yeah. So for example, if you have a, uh, if there's a storm coming in, a hurricane or a flood or something, you fill up bags with sand, literally mm -hmm. fill up bags of sand and then stack them up as a wall that acts as as uh, a protection yeah. against that undesirable thing that's coming to you. Mm -hmm. And we do that when it comes to goals too. Sandbagging with goals means that we create kind of a, a wall of protection, a way to keep ourselves from getting hurt or humiliated yeah. in the event that we don't accomplish the goal. 
But usually that humiliation is far less. I mean, the, the, the consequences of not setting a goal that's risky are far greater because if the goal is not a little risky, it's not going to excite our imagination. It's not going to compel our effort. It's not going to make us want to accomplish it. So we've got to set it out there where it's risky. Otherwise, we're not going to accomplish it at all. It's going to be forgettable. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, how do you um, guard against this inclination that people have to lowball a goal or to sandbag um, so that you get people to get out of their comfort zone? What can you do to kind of create a culture where that's um, not something that people avoid like the plague? Well, I think one thing is just cover these three zones Mm -hmm. and talk about why the science says that your best chance of accomplishing goals is to put them in the discomfort zone. Mm -hmm. And then I think as a leader, we particularly have to make it safe for people to fail. Yeah. So in other words, if you accomplish or if you attempt something big and you don't accomplish it, you know, there's not going to be a consequence. I mean, at least in our company, mm-hmm. uh, I love for people to try things and we fail at a considerable number of things. In fact, I would say this, if you're not failing enough, you're not trying enough hard things that really matter. Hmm. And so- That's you've a got big to, idea. It, and you've got to create a culture that's safe for that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So before we continue our conversation on the reasons that resolutions fail, I want to pause for just a minute to talk about something really exciting that's happening. I am super excited about this because my brand new book, Your Best Year Ever, releases today. Woohoo! And so here's the deal. We all want to live a life that matters and reach our full potential. But do you find yourself overwhelmed by the day-to-day? Yes or yes. (laughs) Do your biggest goals get pushed back to the back burner? and forgotten. Well, I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. You can focus on your goals and reach your potential even in the midst of a very busy life. And that's what I want to tell you a little bit about my new book, Your Best Year Ever, subtitled A Five-Step Plan for Achieving Your Most Important Goals. Now, the system is powerful. We've been using this now for five years or teaching it for five years. Mm -hmm. It's totally research-driven. In fact, more than 32,000 people have already used it to accomplish their goals and design the lives they've dreamed of. So if you're ready to make progress professionally, grow financially, improve your health, invest in relationships, whatever your goals are for this coming year, your best year ever teaches the framework you need for success. And the best part, if you order the book before the end of January, you get hundreds of dollars worth of bonuses for free. And you can find out more at yourbestyearyearbook.com. So don't wait, claim your copy and make 2018 your best year ever. Love it. All right. I hope all of you will go check that out. Now let's dive into our discussion on the reasons resolutions fail. Okay, we've covered three so far, but the fourth reason resolutions usually fail is that they're overwhelming. Mm. In other words, your focus is too broad. You set too many goals. I've seen this time and time again. Or maybe if you don't set too many goals, you try to cheat the system. You people know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) By listing one goal with a bunch of Mm sub-goals. For example, you might have this goal. I'm going to get healthy, which by the way, is really a resolution, right? Or an aspiration because it's too vague. Mm -hmm. But maybe you set a goal to get healthy, and then you come up with all these sub-goals like, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to drink more water, I'm going to get more sleep, work out four times a week, eat better, sit less, cut out fast food, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) That's a recipe for overwhelm. It's It's just too much. Yeah. The other thing is that sometimes your goals aren't relevant. 
you know, one of the things that we have seen over and over and over again with our best year ever students is that they have aspirations for things that are not um, kind of dialed into the reality of their season of life. For example, somebody with very young children who don't sleep well might say that they want to get eight hours of sleep night after night without fail, you know. For the right. next 300 and something days. Well, if you have children that wake up all night, you have a brand new baby. I mean, sorry to burst your bubble, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah, you're going to be overwhelmed if you set too many you're gonna goals. You're going to be so overwhelmed. And you're going to be overwhelmed if you set goals that aren't relevant and considerate of your season of life. It reminds me of a goal that I set and failed to achieve for a few years, which was around starting a morning routine. So it's mm-hmm. so one of the things you talk about a lot is the importance of a morning routine. And this is when my kids were younger. They were not sleeping well. And I had this grand vision of like this hour and a half long time of personal reflection and spiritual connection and exercise and all these things. Well, you know, I was doing well if I got a shower that day, let's be honest. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And what I realized when I was finally successful with this goal is that I needed a five minute morning routine that I could execute regardless of how I slept the night before, regardless of what was going on with my kids or work or anything else. And that's when it finally was successful because I was considerate of the fact that that was my season of life. And it could be that, um, you know, your professional life dictates some of what you can do or, um, you know, your family or whatever it may be. But you have to take that into account when you're setting goals if you want to be successful. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I experienced the same thing with my morning routine. Uh, Somebody wisely said to me early on when you girls were young, and there's five of you, so (laughs) the house was chaos and morning routines were pretty much non-existent. But this person challenged me just to spend seven minutes in a morning routine. Yeah. Now I spend like two hours, but I have to be careful when I teach on this publicly to give that disclaimer. Yeah. Because if I hold myself up as the ideal, it's going to be a a discouragement and it's going to overwhelm a lot of people because people like you, people that have small kids are not going to be able to dedicate that much time. And that's okay. It's just been evolving over time. So the antidote to feeling overwhelmed, either because you have too many goals or because you weren't thinking about the season of life that you're in and therefore your goals aren't relevant, is to narrow your focus. So back to that archery example, if you think about a goal that you want to set, you you want to ask yourself, what's the likelihood of hitting the bullseye? Right. With that goal. When you think about your stage of life Mm -hmm. and the relevance of it, when you think about how many other goals you have and what they are, do you have a shot at it? Can you do it? Uh, It's kind of like if you had five arrows and you're trying to shoot them at five different targets simultaneously, chances are your accuracy is going to go down. Right. Right? So you really have to be thoughtful about how many goals you're setting and if they're relevant to your season of life when you're thinking about what's going to make it to the list in the final cut. Well, the fewer targets you have and the more arrows that you can shoot at each of those targets, yep. the more likelihood you're going to accomplish them. Yeah. So this is just an argument basically for fewer goals, more yes. relevant goals, right? Yep. This is a way to keep from uh, from being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books on this topic, and I think you've read it too, yes. Megan, is The One Thing by Jay mm-hmm. Papasan and Gary Keller. Listen to what Jay had to say about narrowing your focus. Well, narrowing the focus is the big challenge. The the reality is most of us run around acting like we can know it all, have it all, and do it all. And only in retrospect do we look back and realize that there were things that were clearly more important that we could have done. And so we need to figure out how to flip this equation around so that we have clarity on the front end about what's truly most important and don't have regrets on the backside about having neglected those things that were clearly the priorities at any given moment. So I'll give you an example of how 
the kind of know-it-all, have-it-all, and do-it-all showed up in my life. Um, I was preparing with Gary, my co-author, to go on spring break. And my wife and I had just been through a lot that year, and we were going to have a little staycation. And my kids at that time were five and four or six and five, somewhere right around there. And I remember Gary saying, where are y'all going? And I had this wonderful justification for staying at home in Austin and doing nothing. And I remember him looking at me and going, you realize, Jay, that you only have about 10 left. And it absolutely kind of shook me. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you realize in 10 years, this idea of Jay, Wendy, Gus, and Veronica going on spring break, that could be all over. Gus will be 16. He may want to bring his girlfriend. He may want to go on spring break with his girlfriend. You've got 10 left. How are you going to use them? So I went home that night, told my wife we're horrible parents, (laughs) and we immediately changed our attitude because we realized before we had regrets that we might look back on a limited opportunity and not made the right thing the priority. So here's a quick exercise we talk about in the one thing. We call it extreme Pareto, right? It's on the 80-20% principle that just says, we'll get the majority of what we want from the minority of what we do. So take your to-do list, whether it's for the week, the month, or the day, and do this simple exercise. Looking at all the things that you could do, go ahead and take five minutes and say, what are the real things on here that I must do? right? Of all the things that I could do, what are the ones that I should do? And create a separate list. And then there's one additional step. So maybe you took 25 things down to five, right? That would be 80-20 right there. If you could only do one of those things this week or this month or whatever your time frame is, what would the clear winner be? Well, guess what? That's your number one. And if by chance you nailed your number one and you had time for number two, what would be number two? and you proceed through the list, and what you went from is a general list of all the stuff that you could do, written in the order that you remembered them, to a priority list, and we call that a success list. So that's just a simple exercise. It takes about five minutes, and we found that if you just stop, you already know what your one thing is. You just need to identify the clear one thing so you can give it all the resources it needs. Okay, the fifth reason your resolutions fail is that they're easily forgotten. I mean, out of sight, out of mind. Life is busy. And forgetfulness, especially as we get older, don't ask me how I know this. We're just busy with families or whatever. Yeah. So uh, just ask yourself this question. How much do you remember from the last book you read? (laughs) Do you even remember the last book you read? Or the last speech or sermon that you heard? Or when's the last time you had a bunch of free time and couldn't think of anything to do with it? So the problem is that when we lose visibility on our goals, we're not going to accomplish them. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many people that I've coached who go through the trouble, through the brain damage of creating their goals, and then just file them away in a desk drawer or put them on a shelf, never look at them again. This even happens in big corporations where they come up with elaborate strategic plans, put them on a shelf and never look at them again. So it's easy to forget our goals if we don't have a process for remembering No doubt, which is why we've got to have a review process. Right. Not only does that keep our resolutions visible throughout the year, which is mission critical, but it also kind of helps us spot the gaps in our progress and kind of keep tabs on how we're doing throughout the year while there's still time to make adjustments. You know, as it turns out, um, the 
discrepancy that we often feel when we realize there's a gap, you know, like we said, Mm -hmm. we're going to do something by such and such a date and we haven't, that very often provides us with the impetus we need to take action. Yes. According to motivational psychologist Heidi Grant Halverson, when your brain detects a discrepancy, it reacts by throwing resources at it in the form of attention, effort, deeper processing of information, and willpower. So the good thing about that is if you keep them visible, you're more aware of the gap Mm -hmm. and your brain goes to work figuring out how to bridge that gap. Yes. In other words, you need a tracking system. And around here at Michael Hyatt & Company, we're pretty tool agnostic. I mean, use whatever works. And if a digital system works, great. If an analog system works, great. If a hybrid system, which is what I use and what you use, if that works, fantastic. The important thing is you need to record all your goals in one place. Okay? Critically important. We've got a spot, by the way, in the Full Focus Planner to do that, right at the very front of the planner. Mm -hmm. So record them in one place and then set a weekly appointment, even a daily appointment. I I review my goals at a high level every single day, and then I do a deeper dive once a week in my weekly uh, review and preview. So you want to be able to track your progress. And by the way, I describe this process in depth in Chapter 15 of Your Best Year Ever. And this can really be the difference maker for people and whether or not they accomplish their goals. It can. I'm telling you that out of sight, out of mind thing is huge. Yep. I can guarantee you if, you, if you set goals and don't review them on some kind of regular basis, you are not going to achieve them. Very unlikely. Absolutely. Well, today we've covered five reasons that resolutions fail. Number one, they're vague. Number two, they're boring. Number three, they're easy. Number four, they're overwhelming. And number five, they're easily forgotten. Back to those uh, hashtag resolutions fail <laughs> <laughs> tweets that we read earlier. You know, those tweets are funny, but the reality of not accomplishing your goals is like no laughing matter. No I mean, kidding. that's serious business. And I think by um, doing what we've done here today, which is spotting the common causes of goal failure, people are able to kind of preempt them from the start yes. and have a real chance for success. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is not that difficult. You know, if people are going to set resolutions, spend a little bit more time, uh, educate yourself. And my book that I mentioned, uh, Your Best Year Ever, just came out today. But the book will help you to take those resolutions that are vague and aspirational and turn them into bona fide goals, goals that you can actually accomplish. I mean, the truth is, your life, one year from today, could be substantially different in every way. Your marriage could be better. Your health could be better. Your relationship with your kids could be better. Your business could be better. Your career could be on a different track. All of it could be better with a little intention. And the book will give that to you and resolutions will not give that to you. You need goals. And the book shows you how. Absolutely. I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at lead2.win. That's lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. Also, please leave a review of the show. It's not that hard. We would be so grateful, but do it wherever you listen to podcasts. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joe Miller, Mandy Raviccio, and Jeremy Lott. Our recording engineer is Matt Price. Our production assistants are Mike Burns, Mike Boyer, and Alicia Curry. And our intern is Winston. Yes, Winston. We invite you to join us for our next episode, where I'll explain how you can set goals as a couple, engage in some of the most meaningful conversations of your life, and work as a team to create a better future. Until then, lead to win.
According to goal researchers, Stephen Kerr, get it right. (laughs) Sometimes it's just so hard to say all these people's names. All right. According to goal researchers, Steve Kerr and Doug LaPelli. (laughs) You had the names perfect the first time. (laughs) What is wrong with the goals and the names? Penelope. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best one. Do you remember that? (laughs) Oh, my gosh.